It is time for us to begin our mid-tape program here on KRVN. Thank you so much for joining us on a Wednesday, a bit of a cooler day than uh, we've had the last couple but uh, don't get used to it because it's going back to where it was before. Jason Jorgensen's in here along with Bob Brogan and Susan Littlefield as we uh, get ready for the midday show. Lots to talk about on this midday. And let's start it out with Susan Littlefield. Well, thanks, Scott, and happy 1st of July to everybody. Hopefully July is a little bit better than the month that June was. Here's what's going to happen on the midday from the farm team. Rebel steps in at 1219 as she talks with Farm Rescue Development Officer Tim Sullivan as he talks about the organization and its impact on farm and ranch families that are in need. We'll have Chabella step in at 1245 as she talks about drought in the rangelands. Then I'll step in at 117 as we talk corn rootworms. That's a look at the midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. I appreciate it. Jason Jorgensen's in here with sports and happy Bobby Bonilla Day. Yeah, I heard you talking about that. I did earlier today on sports. That story just never gets old. It doesn't, especially uh, I have a couple Mets fans that are friends of mine, and so I I make sure to shower them uh, today with congratulations. I know 20 years ago at the time they didn't have the $6 million at that time to pay Bobby Bonilla off of his of his contract, but whoever came up with the idea of deferring the payments for 11 years and then you pay him for what, 24? So $25 million for a guy who was worth six. Uh, (laughs) You know, but see, they had that Bernie Madoff money they thought they were going to be bringing in, so they thought they were going to be in high cotton for years and years. We'll make money later. We can pay for it. Yeah, his agent and financial planner still to this day have to chuckle about that to get 1.1 million dollars through 2035 he'll be 72 when he gets his last one his grandkids can enjoy that money Also coming up in sports we'll talk more about the nebraska school activities association what they hope will happen uh, this week i know you had a chance to talk to executive director jay beller this week and some good stuff from jay about how uh, the nsaa is looking forward tough 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 position it, it is and uh you, you know they keep pushing this uh you know the kicking the can down the road but there's going to come a day of reckoning here i think toward the tail end of this month when a decision will be have to made uh, one way or the other also we'll tell you about three sports star cam barry and mccook he signed this week to play football at unk and he just happens to be playing in the nebraska shrine bowl next week and of course, we'll have the Shrine Bowl here on 880 KRVN. I look forward to seeing him play. It should be a lot of fun. It'll be good to see football again, too. Also, I looked it up again. Okay. Every year since 2001, there's been a kid from a cook in the Shrine Bowl. Is that? That's consistency. Nice. That, that in itself speaks to the type of success they've had the last two decades under Coach Gross. That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. All right. Very good. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan and take a look at stocks. Numbers. Uh, you know, kind of even par right now. Stocks uh, opened the trading day higher on Wall Street, adding to Tuesday's big gain when the market closed out its best quarter in more than 20 years. The S&P 500 rose five-tenths percent in early trading this morning. FedEx soared the most in the index after reporting stronger than expected revenue thanks to a boom in online shopping during the coronavirus pandemic. And also, uh, U.S. companies added... Uh, a bunch of jobs in June, according to a private survey. Details on those coming up. All coming up on Midden. Friday in the Fields is back with the farm team here on the Rural Radio Network, brought to you by First National Bank.
We'll tag along near Henderson, Nebraska this year with Matthew Hebner. He's a producer that grows corn and soybeans in the area, and he's been experimenting with relay cropping. Hi, this is Susan Littlefield. I'm going to be going just up the road and around the corner to my neighbors, Tom and Devin Vidichka, just outside of Surprise, as we talk to this father-son duo about corn, beans, and seed corn. Hey there, Clay Patton, and I'm heading west to the UNL Research Station at North Platte. There we'll be following the actual and virtual fields of the 2020 TAP program. So be sure to tune in every Friday during the midday for Fridays in the Field, brought to you by First National Bank. If you miss it on air, don't worry. You can catch it as a podcast as well through our website at ruralradio.com and also the video link as well to see what our farmers are up to. It's Fridays in the Field on the Rural Radio Network. Well, time for us to take a look at our weather and see how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And uh, at 11.44, Paul Perkins in here. And boy, I tell you what, nice little cool down today, at least, for a little bit. Exactly. And uh, the humidity a lot lower. Yes, in the last several days, we've had dew points in the low 70s yeah. and still have some mid and upper 60s for dew points into eastern areas of Nebraska. But dew points as low as the... 30s to low 40s in much of west central Nebraska and northwest Kansas, down to 35 on the dew point in the Ogallala area. They weren't as high on the humidity the last few days, right. but a lot of other areas, though, a lot more comfortable on the humidity. Uh, Lexington currently at 47 on the dew point as opposed to some low 70s. And because of that drier air in Lexington, the temperature is really shooting up. It's up to 86 in Lexington. Otherwise, we have temperatures mainly in the upper 70s to low 80s. It's pretty amazing to see the dew point change between Lexington and Kearney. There yeah. was a 15-degree 15, 15, uh, difference. Exactly, there, yeah. yeah. 47 16. in Lexington and 63 on the yeah. dew point there in Kearney. So and any, once again, any time that dew point gets up to about 65 years when you're starting to feel some of that humidity. We have mostly clear skies across the area. Still some lingering clouds in central and east Kansas and maybe a few patches of clouds in between the Rokambo and Bedford area. We did have a few locations that did hit it nice on the rain lottery last night with those thunderstorms that did move through. Grand Island had 70 hundredths of rain, just over half an inch of rain falling in the Aurora area. The bulk of the rain falling into eastern Nebraska, 42 hundredths falling in the Albion area. Just over two inches of rain falling with those storms in Lincoln and two-thirds of an inch falling in Omaha. Once again, we do have some mostly clear skies and temperatures in the upper 70s to low 80s for the most part. Today, in behind the passing of that cold front, it will be sunny with seasonal temperatures and lower humidity. Closer to that front, a few storms may refire in eastern areas. Some easterly upslope winds and moisture air tonight could develop some clouds later on, on into early tomorrow. So we may start off with a few morning clouds tomorrow. Otherwise, the common theme for tomorrow through Tuesday going to be heat and mainly dry weather as a ridge of high pressure expands across the plains. Temperatures will be seasonal to slightly above average. A few thunderstorms may fire along a dry line late in the day tomorrow to the west and then track to the east tomorrow night. Small chances of thunderstorms will continue through early next week with some weak disturbances tracking to the east. Now, in our long-term forecast, the likelihood is still high for above-normal temperatures in Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. for Monday through July 14th. During the early half of July, average highs for central Nebraska in the upper 80s with average overnight lows in the low 60s. In a slight change for the early half of next week on rainfall, Nebraska rainfall predicted to be near normal 
while the Kansas outlook remains at below normal rainfall. That ridge of high pressure kind of breaking down just a little bit for the early half of next week. But both Nebraska and Kansas late next week through the 14th likely to be drier with below normal rainfall. Weather forecast. Weather factors rather driving the markets include widely varying rain chances for the Midwest and a continued hot and dry weather pattern for the Black Sea region. The next several days, periods of rain will occur from the northern plains into the southeast U.S. Little or no rain, though, will fall through the weekend across the eastern Corn Belt and the southern High Plains. Above normal temperatures will accompany the lower Midwestern dryness, but temperatures should remain mostly below 95. Midwest rain will focus on the western half the next 10 days. Western and southern areas of the Midwest had some moderate to heavy rain over this last week that benefited some drier soils but also caused some flooding. The eastern Midwest is dry, especially northern Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio. Only periods of isolated rain are likely after tomorrow. Areas that are missed could see even more crop stress. The southern plains will continue with just some widely scattered showers and mostly high temperatures to favor wheat harvest the next several days. The heat, though, stressful to row crops with continued heavy irrigation demand. In the Black Sea region of Russia and Ukraine, the next 10 days will be hot and dry, a pattern that could cause stress to the wheat in the late stages. Well, here's something I don't know that I've ever noticed before. Uh, <laughs> Lexington is the hot spot in Nebraska right now. It yeah, sitting at 86. And this morning, uh, Lexington was actually one of the cooler spots uh, uh, down into the 50s. And we didn't have overnight lows last night. Dipped down into the uh, 40s. I know it got down to 46 in Alliance, and it was actually 48 at Thedford in some of those areas where that drier air really yeah. creeped in. I'll be doing Huh. That's really something. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. Uh, where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. District. Farm Rescue is a nonprofit organization that has helped over 700 farm families since its inception in 2005. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Rebel Seclosure reporting. Farm Rescue provides planting, haying, harvesting, and livestock feeding assistance to farm and ranch families that have experienced a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Farm Rescue's development officer, Tim Sullivan, shares more. We have a volunteer base of over 1,000 volunteers nationwide that step up to the plate when we have uh, these crisis cases, and uh, they'll come from wherever. Um, we have them in all 50 states, so they'll they'll come in, we'll organize them, and they'll come out and uh, take care of a, a planting situation or a harvesting situation. We can feed the livestock, but it's all free of charge to the family that's in need. Sullivan says Farm Rescue has expanded its reach and impact over the years. It began in central North Dakota, our founder and president is Bill Gross. He grew up on a farm in, in Jamestown, North Dakota, close by there. And what he realized is uh, later in life after he left the farm, because he's a UPS captain uh, flying around the world for UPS, he experienced uh, what a lot of uh, farm families experience is when somebody gets sick on the farm, a lot of times the livelihood can go away. And the farm gets either... Um, rented out, sold, or whatever. And that's the situation he was in. And he was thinking, how can I give back to try to help out the family farm? So that's what he did. Is he uh, started the nonprofit Farm Rescue, and uh, that was 2005, so we're 15 years old. Sullivan says Gross was determined to make an impact. That first year, he, uh, he basically um, 
had a tractor and uh, he had a combine and he went around from farm to farm in North Dakota um, asking to help people. And uh, then soon in 2006, uh, Farm Rescue was um, more formed and uh, then a volunteer base came in to, to help out. Farm Rescue recently began offering services to those in need in Kansas. So we work with a, a lot of large uh, uh, supporters of Farm Rescue. Um, some of those are John Deere dealerships around the country. Uh, John Deere has been a huge uh, promoter of Farm Rescue over the years, and uh, they provide equipment for us, and they provide funding as well. We also have a, a large sponsor, Anheuser-Busch and, and Bush Beer, that wanted us to get involved with Kansas, and uh, specifically, and so... They provided the funding to do that um, up front, and so that brought us into Kansas as our seventh state uh, to enter. We just started doing uh, projects, uh, crisis cases, uh, this last week. Even at a distance, Sullivan says his role is incredibly rewarding. Just seeing the reaction of the, uh, the farm family, um, very emotional in a lot of cases, um, Normally, we would uh, our volunteers would be getting um, handshakes and hugs, but during this time of COVID, uh, we're not able to do that. But even at a distance, we can feel that emotion, and that is so rewarding for myself, but I know it's very rewarding for our volunteer base. To learn more about volunteer opportunities or to nominate a family in need, visit farmrescue.org. From the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Rebel Seclosure reporting on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Rebel Seclosure reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Time for Midday Sports, and our own Jason Jorgensen is here. And, well, as I mentioned a little while ago, the first six months of this miserable 2020 is now gone. It is now July 1st, and that is good news for Contact Sports. It is. New month means new hope for the Nebraska School Activities Association. Contact sports can resume today across most of the state. NSAA Executive Director Jay Beller talks about the criteria that could be used to determine if sports take place this fall and how things might work if a team or an individual tested positive. When I talk about criteria, we're going to definitely listen to uh, the local health departments along with the CDC and, and, and the administration from each school because I think that that's going to be a realistic point to take going to be the challenge for the NSA is how do we handle that you know do we just say it's a no contest or is it a forfeit Uh, we're still talking about those things but it's out of the control of the school and the kids and and so we're taking that into consideration and that's the things we have to come to terms with. The organization has still not made any decision on what the upcoming fall sports schedule could look like. Uh, The NSAA sponsors seven sports normally in the fall. Do they have an idea of when they may put out new schedules for this upcoming school year? Sounds like they may have another meeting in six weeks. Uh, Beller said that this week, but I think they're just, as he alluded to, kind of taking it two weeks at a time. And from what I'm gathering from that short snippet there, basically going to leave it up to each health district and each school. If you can play, you can play. If you can't, well, then, you know, it is what it is. How would you like to forfeit a game, though? See, I don't know if you could go that far yeah. this year. I mean, with these are different times. Uh, I, I don't know. I just hope there's a year. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Which, you know, like you said, about a month or a couple That's weeks. True. Still have some time. Three sports star Cam Berry and McCook signed this week to play football at UNK. 
Barry has also shined in track and baseball. He spoke this week with our friends at KSCX Radio in McCook about his decision to go with football. I, I did love all my sports, but football, it, it did. It was just a little bit higher than the rest. So, Barry's uncle, Matt, played for the Lopers and was an all-conference quarterback and punt returner from the Lopers for 2010 through 2013. Cam says his familiarity with the school played a role in this decision. Yep, Matt went there. He loved it, and I just... I really liked it too, and I was going for teaching, and that was a really good teaching program there, so that's good. Now, if Cam can become the player that Matt mm-hmm. was, the Lopers have themselves a fine. I knew that name sounded uh, yep. familiar because we went to college about the same time, Matt and I did, so very small world. Well, good for him. You're right, and hopefully keeps that Barry name going. And Cam will play in the Shrine Bowl next week for the South Squad, which we will have here on 880KRVN. And we are a fans in the stands business. That's the explanation from the president of the National Association of Professional Baseball Leagues in announcing baseball's minor leagues have canceled mm. their seasons. That's a tough move, but they knew it was coming. Now, with no minor leagues, then the major leagues are going to have a uh, 60-man roster there for a while to try to help them through things. But that's nothing compared to the yeah. minor leagues. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds, all the way from single A to triple A. So. so this year, if a guy blows an arm or a knee, you can't really go to triple A Omaha to look for relief. At least you have expanded rosters, so sure. some guys will get a chance. But uh, And speaking of baseball, happy Bobby Bonilla Day as well. That's great. <laughs> I know we've talked about that several times already. One of the but... worst deals ever made in deferred money. $1.1 million each July 1st for the next what? Till 2035. And he'll be how old then? Uh, close to 70. Oh, my goodness. And he's been starting this? Since 2011. Jeepers. That's a retirement plan. That's something to look forward to each year. <laughs> That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Thank you very much, Jason. This is Greg Sharp coming up tonight on Sports Alley, another edition of the Husker Huddle. Jeremiah Searles sits down with former Husker running back Divina Zigbo, and we'll have famous face-offs coming your way tonight here on Sports Alley. Listen tonight on the longest-running Husker affiliate, 880-KRVN. Time for KRVN News. Our own news director, Dave Schroeder, is in. And Dave, there's been a big fire here in the local area and Looks like and sounds like it was at Johnson Lake, and it started sometime this morning. Yes, yes. Nothing like uh, getting a fire to start your day off, it mm. seems. But uh, a Johnson Lake home did sustain significant fire damage in a fire that was reported at 5.49 a.m. Firefighters from Lexington and Elwood responded to the scene at number 19 North Point. Uh, Lexington Fire Chief Dallas Holbein says was fully engulfed in flames upon their arrival. He noted that the distance played a role in getting to the scene from Lexington. Um, we had plenty of water with our tankers and everything, but more than anything, it's just the, the distance away. It's like being in the country, you know, we're about 9, 10 miles away. So just the, the response time and then, you know, being 530 in the morning sometimes is a little bit more difficult. The state fire marshal's office was summoned to assist in determining a cause. No one was home at the time. The Nebraska Game and Parks Commission is offering six $1,000 scholarships to schools who wish to start the Trout in the Classroom program. The program is for students in 2nd through 12th grade to explore aquatic ecosystems, life cycles, and the scientific process. The Game and Parks Aquatic Ecology Education Specialist, Grace Gard, explains more about the program. You do get to actually raise trout from eggs, and they receive those 
um, usually around January sometime, and they raise them all spring. And throughout that time, they learn a lot of really valuable lessons and um, the importance of water quality and things like that. Guard talks about teacher and students' reactions to the program. The teachers just love having something in their classroom that is a little more interactive, and um, it's always exciting for students to have a live animal in their classroom. And, and this one is, is just, I think, a good one um, in the classroom because it doesn't require too much uh, care and things like that, but it is a really great tool for teaching kids about how, um, how important water quality is, more information can be found at the OutdoorNebraska.gov website and look under Trout in the Classroom. And also, the Kansas State Fair will be held this year. Their 10-day schedule in September will be held, uh, much like uh, Nebraska. So, interesting development there because we saw Iowa, what, was about a month ago. They canceled theirs completely. Yeah. We saw what Nebraska did uh, yesterday and now, interesting development here with Kansas. Yes. And so th- they will hold it completely or just kind of the same type of format like well, Nebraska? Um, it, it, we don't have quite all the details yet, but masks will be required at all indoor uh, exhibits and display areas, and crowd sizes will not be limited. Wow. So okay. interesting. So basically... Go on as usual. Well, I hope, yeah, kind of, with masks. With masks. Yes. All right, very good. All right, thank you very much. KRVN, Tyson Foods, and Community Action Partnership of Mid-Nebraska are blazing new trails together with a food drive Wednesday, July 1st from 4 to 6. Bring your canned or boxed food to the drive through donation and vehicle giveaway registration. It's a win-win. Help feed your community and get a chance to qualify for a 2020 Chevy Blazer. We hope to see you as the river joins Tyson Foods for a food drive Wednesday, July 1st, 4 to 6 at Community Action Partnership of Mid-Nebraska, 931 7th Street, Lexington. The University of Nebraska-Lincoln U.S. Drought Monitor released on June 25th shows areas of Nebraska dry and in drought as we head into July. This is not good news for ranchers with cattle out on rangelands. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Drought to severe drought conditions are present in Wyoming, Colorado, and Kansas, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor. Plus, the drought is beginning to move into Nebraska, reducing range and pasture production. Jack Arterburn, Nebraska Extension Beef Systems educator, says looking at our precipitation tells more of the story. A significant part of the northern and southern panhandle are well below average as far as precipitation. I mean, there's other pockets in Nebraska as well. There seems to be a pocket in the sand hills that has been getting some of the rain that the rest of us haven't. But the soil moisture has really carried us from the winter and through the spring. But now it's starting to really get hot and dry. And so we're really looking at some drought conditions. Arterburn says where the drought is beginning to build in the north and south regions is where the grasses are predominantly cool season. We've reached our peak growth as far as cool season grasses, so pretty much what you have is what you've got. And so even if we did get some rain, it's not going to help those grasses along. You know, warm seasons are a little different story. They're, they can still pick up some growth from, from some July precipitation, but as far as cool season grasses, what you've got is what you have to work with, and so you need to start taking a look at what you have and see if it's going to be enough of what for what you plan to graze. And if it's not, destocking is going to um, really have to be the choice. You have to decrease the demand on that forage. And speaking of forage, the late freezes in May and then continuing hot, dry days is creating problems for alfalfa growers. 
Toby Skinner with the Wyoming Hay and Forage Association says the weather conditions hurt the first cut. I'm not sure about everybody, but I know like we were down 50% on our yield for first cutting. I know a lot of other people were down quite a bit, you know, probably 35 to 50% also on their first cutting. Um, I think part of that was maybe due to them two late freezes we got, you know, kind of stunted it and stalled it out. And then the bugs moved in. I know a lot of people cut early because of the bugs, which cut their yield down. Um, I know the weevil and aphids and cutworm and now grasshoppers are moving in and a lot of people are spraying for them. Skinner says the conditions, if they continue, could see alfalfa go up in price. It's going up in the last two weeks. From what I'm hearing, uh, like cow hay, you know, we was figuring what, I think I was figuring like 120, 125 a ton. And uh, we sold some for 160. And I'm hearing other guys are hitting cow hay at that 140 to 160 range also now. So it's gone up 20, 25 dollars a ton in the last two weeks because there's a lot of ranches up north and down south but their grass is burning up so they're going to start feeding hay already so i think it's going to go up skinner says the focus right now is getting fertilizer and water on the hay so it doesn't stall out and to push for a better second cut with markets low and alfalfa maybe going up the cattle producer is going to be facing some tough decisions Ardburn says don't just look at the forage or grazing that is below normal when deciding a stocking rate there is a a set forage. You know, a lot of times the rule of thumb is 50-50 that you need to leave. A 50 you can take for the cattle and 50 you need to leave for the grass and the wildlife to promote the vigor of that grassland and have a good stand the following year and improving that uh, plant community. And so when you look at take half, leave half, that's um, a percentage. But in actuality, that is a pounds per acre. And, and that does not change even in a dry year. And so if we're 50% below average precipitation, it's not just a 50% reduction in stocking rate. It's probably going to be more like 75% because you still have to account for that set amount of grass you need to leave. When looking at reducing stocking rates, Arterburn says to look at yearlings, non-pregnant heifers, and cows or problem animals. A couple ways you could do that. We're looking at uh, using early pregnancy diagnosis techniques such as ultrasound or even blood testing. You know, those are an added expense, but if it saves you 30 days of grass because you're able to get that animal out, out 30 days uh, before, that's saving you quite a bit of grass. And so that, that expense might be worth it. I remember reading an article a couple years ago when it was dry, and someone pointed out that uh, production records really shine during dry years because you can lean on those and really utilize that for uh, what cows you're going to cull. And so you could pick out those cows that underperform, have structural issues. Arterburn says there are other options, such as early weaning, feeding beef cattle in confinement, and managing grazing. He says these are some tough decisions, and producers should look at costs realistically. You know, hopefully this market turns around, but what if it doesn't? You're selling in, you know, you, you fed through this drought, and then you're selling into a, a, a low market that, that continues. And so just taking a, a real look at that and trying to be realistic about what your costs are going to be and what you might be able to get for those animals. You know, something people t- typically like to do is... Um, to feed uh, distillers or something like that supplement on range. You have to be careful when doing that because if you actually make it easier for them to digest low-quality forage, and so they're going to start eating more. And so you you, th- you might think you're stretching that pasture when actually you might actually be shortening the amount of time you can graze out there. 
Producers can feed their way out of a drought, but Arterburn says to again really look at costs, what is available for feeding, and how that will affect the animal. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. With Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are drifting higher in afternoon trading on Wall Street, putting the market on track for its third gain in a row. The S&P 500 is up four-tenths of a percent, coming off the heels of a whiplash start to the year, where its worst quarterly performance since 2008 gave way to its best quarter since 1998. Treasury yields and the price of oil also ticked higher, following encouraging reports on the U.S. economy. U.S. manufacturing rebounded in June as major parts of the country opened back up, ending three months of contraction in the sector caused by the coronavirus pandemic. The Institute for Supply Management and Association of Purchasing Managers said today that its manufacturing index rose to 52.6 last month after registering 43.1 in May and 41.5 in April. Meanwhile, U.S. companies added nearly 2.4 million jobs in June, according to a private survey, a large gain that still leaves the job market far below its pre-pandemic levels. The payroll company ADP said that small businesses reported the largest gain, adding 937,000 jobs. Construction firms and restaurants and hotels also posted big increases in hiring. U.S. construction spending fell 2.1% in May, with both home building and non-residential activity declining. The Commerce Department said the May decline followed an even larger 3.5% fall in April. A new survey of business leaders released today suggests the economy has begun to recover as businesses reopened in the past month in nine Midwest and Plain State. But Creighton University economist Ernie Goss said the region's economy remains weaker than before the coronavirus outbreak began, and business leaders expect the economy to continue improving over the next six months. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. They call it corn's billion-dollar bug, corn rootworm. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Jody Gander is a technology development manager at Bayer as we talk about this expensive pest. Something like corn rootworm, you know, that's a pest that this time of year you typically don't see too much, but as we move farther into the growing season, you know, that's something that uh, can cause some issues uh, reflected in lost yield or, or lodging or things like that later on. So it's really important that we be diligent and, you know, we scout. I mean, we, we've taken some precautionary measures, you know. Uh, if you're in an area that has corn rootworm, as far as, you know, taking steps to try to manage the pest, but there's always other things that you can do, uh, such as scouting, to try to manage and, and try to, you know, develop the best management plan that you can. Well, I know that scouting for corn rootworm is more than just looking at the crop. You got to almost bring a shovel out with you to do some looking to see if you have the pest. Correct. And that's one of the things about corn rootworm is, you know, that you have to be proactive when you're trying to manage it. You know, if we think about corn rootworm, uh, you know, they lay their eggs uh, in the summer, then they overwinter, and then they typically hatch, you know, late May, early June. And the larvae, they immediately start feeding on the roots. So, you know, right now they're out there feeding on the roots, and we may not be seeing too much uh, as far as, you know, plant damage because it's below ground. So that's where you really have to get out and, and do some digs, 
Um, you know, this time of year, you can you know dig some plants, put them in buckets of water. Uh, typically, the corn rootworm larva will will float to the top. You know, as you loosen the soil in the buckets of water. But uh, it, at this point, you know, they're still uh, in their feeding cycle. So to to get an estimate truly of how well your management practices are performing, you need to do your root digs a little bit later in the season. Uh, once they have completed their life cycle and completed, you know, their feeding, but you can certainly get out there right now and, and do some digging to kind of get an idea of, of what kind of uh, pressure you may be seeing. But unfortunately, there's really not a lot of rescue treatments that you can do. Um, you know, once you see the larva and you see the damage, there's really not a lot you can do. So that's where you really need to be proactive in implementing your different management strategies. And, and you know, some of those are things such as Crop rotation, you know, rotating to a, a non-corn crop or a non-host crop. Um, you can always use, you know, soil insecticides. Or, you know, with the advent of BT hybrid, you know, products such as smart stacks, uh, you know, they have effective modes of action against corn rootworms. So, you know, th those are different things you can do. But you can also scout and, you know, try to look at... Um, you know, as we talked about rootworm, you know, later on in the season when the beetle, the adult beetles start emerging from the soil, you can scout for those. And that can help you to try to determine what kind of pressure you may see the following year and whether you need to try to implement a management practice or not. Now, I understand you guys have some sticky traps that farmers can request. Yes, uh, we developed a program that we actually launched it last year. It's a program called The Watch. So we, we launched it last year, but we're continuing it this year. And it's a campaign basically to raise awareness around corn rootworm. You know, corn rootworm, we've been talking about it a little bit, but it's commonly referred to as the billion-dollar pest. The website is traits.bear.com backslash the watch, and uh, you can find more information there around the watch program. My conversation with Dr. Jody Gander as we talk about corn rootworms. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Play Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, looking here at the closing grain segment, really a nice, strong close here and another day of decent gains made by both the corn and soybeans. Now, interesting enough, I know there's kind of a theme going through here. We're getting a little bit of a rally. Maybe consider that selling. Would If farmers really do start to sell and reown these bushels, will that actually signify that we have a weather issue starting to develop the fact that they're trying to reown forward contracts? Attractive bushels that they don't think they can produce. Well, I think we've seen the first move, and that's you know the, the speculative shorts move side. Uh, now it'll be sales, and I'm sure as, as you know, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that hey, you know, you should sell some 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 product here given the move we've seen. But if the weather develops from that, that's where you could see some buybacks. So um, you know, I, it's hard to be bullish. It still is hard to be bullish, even with 92 million acres. But you know, I think long term, and the farmer here, I. You know, I'll break into two categories. Really, the people have to sell before the election, and the people have to sell after the election. I mean, it could be a completely different environment, both from the currency standpoint, from an ethanol standpoint. Uh, you know, there's just so many variables that I think can can kick in here in the second quarter of the year, uh, or the second half of the year rather. That um, you know that we're not seeing. And I think for what we know, it's easy to be bearish. For what you don't know, I think the the upside is there. Um, all in all, I would tell folks to look at the carry. I think the carry is opportunity here. You're getting marked possibly up to 380. I mean, that would be a pretty good good first place to set. 
you get a 10 cent spread there between December and March. So you're getting paid to sell it and hold it really through, uh, through the new year, which a lot of folks probably don't mind anyway. Um, December, you know, I think, it, you know, you're going to have a, a struggle at, at 370, 380. So beyond that point, from a speculative standpoint, I'll be shortened. Um, but again, it's about rain and that's unpredictable. So it's getting hard now. If you've got, you know, made the foresight to buy some courage calls, I, I highly suggest you use them. Um, but if you didn't, you know, I think patience is, is going to be afforded to you at least for another couple of weeks. Speaking of that weather forecast, GFS model starting to dry out at noon. What do your models suggest here this afternoon from the weather agencies you subscribe to? Uh, well, I saw World Weather Inc. Very, very common one a lot of people do. I mean, you have the, the two models, the Euro and the GFS, pretty much aligned. The like, center part of the country is going to miss it. So east of Chicago, north of Indianapolis, those are the areas that are probably you need to watch for right now. But it's tough to get too scared because we just got a rain two days ago here in this area, and then south of us got rain this morning. So it's um, it's tough to get too concerned about a drought story, but the you know the first leg that we need to have happen, which was the USDA helping out, happened. So that's good news. Again, John Payne, senior marketing analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing. More DanielZagMarketing.com. Do remember, trading futures and options involves risk of loss. Right, thank you very much, Clay. We'll let it wrap up today's midday program. If you miss anything or want to rehear any of our interviews. You can listen to the Midday Podcast available on iTunes or KRVN.com. Our Midday Podcast is sponsored by Deveni Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Deveni Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DeveniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Deveni deal.